Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, would you turn in your copy of Scripture to the book of Revelation? We're again looking through the seven churches at Re- that, that John writes to on behalf of Jesus, who's giving him this vision in the book of Revelation. We're going to finish up chapter two today. And as we do that, here's where we're going. It's a little bit of a heavy one, actually, um, because what he's going to write on behalf of the Lord Jesus is he's going to write to a church that has been caught in compromise. And they've compromised God's word and they rebuke for the church in Thyatira. And he's going to come because he comes in love. He cares about how they walk. He cares about their life before him. He cares about the city on a hill that they are called to be. Um, Jesus says it this way in Matthew's gospel. He says to his disciples, he says, you are a city on a hill. You're a light that's placed on a lampstand. And when you are on a lampstand, I'm greatly paraphrasing here. When you're on a lampstand, you give light to everyone in the house. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And so he's writing to a church whose light has been dimmed a bit because they've allowed the things of the world to compromise their walk with Jesus. So we need God's help this morning because this is a a tough letter. This is a strong letter that Jesus writes. I hope you're there in Revelation chapter 2. We care deeply about the Word of God, and and I invite you, I know we've been kind of standing up and sitting down. If you would, and if you're able to, would you stand up with us for the reading of God's Word as we begin today? Verse 18 of Revelation chapter 2 says this, Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, The Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze, says, I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. Your last works are greater than the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants or my slaves to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her practices. I will kill her children with the plague. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works." I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who haven't known the deep things of Satan, as they say, I do not put any other burden on you, but hold on to what you have until I come. The one who is victorious and keeps my words to the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my father, I will also give him the morning star. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we need your help. We need the help of your Spirit to both understand 
what the text says, perhaps even more to understand how to rightly apply it to our lives. God, we want to know your heart today. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus comes in the book of John, and so much of Jesus' ministry has to do with life. One of the things that he says to his disciples in John chapter 10 is he says this, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We're talking about some really challenging things here today, but I want us to frame it within the context of life because life matters to God. I'm not just talking about you have a heart that's pumping, you have air that's coming in and out of your lungs. I mean the quality of your walk with God today. That's what Jesus cares about. Not just the future, which he does care about that and he promises that, but he cares about their present circumstance. He cares about how they experience and how they walk with him by his grace. And so Jesus promised here, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly is fulfilled in how Jesus came and he gave his life so that people could have eternal life and not just life in the future again, but life in the future and life, spiritual life in the present. Because here's the amazing thing. When you and I become followers of Jesus, God takes out our old heart and he gives us his spirit. He he takes out the spirit that we have within us from the moment of our birth that is bent on sin, that is bent on death. And he says, let me give you my life and let me live my life through you. Sure, we still struggle with sin. We still struggle with our flesh. We still struggle with the world that is still tainted and polluted by sin. But Jesus says, I'm coming to give you life and I want you to have it to the full. And a part of that fullness, so much of that fullness we can experience here today in this world because Christ dwells in our hearts. Isn't that amazing? I'm starting with that because we're going to go to a church that's allowed this light, that's allowed this life to take a back seat to the things and the practices of the world in which they're trying to find life. See, we all have certain core needs in our life. And one of the things that we can do is we can go to Jesus and he promises to meet those needs. Needs like love, needs like acceptance, needs like forgiveness and and acceptance before. I said that one already. Um, but, But we have these core needs that Jesus promises to meet in his fullness. But when we go to things in order to try and find um, fullness in other things other than Jesus, we end up with a very, very broken system. It doesn't change who we are, but it does change our experience of the Christian life. So we're talking to a church, and I've kind of tried to give you a little bit of photo where it's at. Here we are in Asia Minor, all right? Modern-day Turkey, if you will. Uh, I have a book on my desk that says, A Guide to Biblical Turkey, and someone thought it was a, a, like, a, like a biblical turkey, like Thanksgiving turkey. I, like, no, it's not a biblical turkey. It's just a country. Just kidding. Um, <clears throat> Here we are, biblical Turkey, and John has been writing from Patmos, and he sends this letter to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, um, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. It's, It's the ancient mail route that this is going to, and every church is reading every other church's letter. That's why he says, this this is what the Spirit says to the churches. He's writing to the community, but he's singling out something unique in every city to whom he's writing. Now, the interesting thing is Thyatira, or Thyatira, however you want to say it. 
Thyatira is in the middle of your screen. Here it is kind of zoomed in. We can see it now on the right-hand side of our screen. It's set back off the coast. It's southeast of where we were last week in Pergamum. Thyatira was like in the middle of nowhere. Well, not in the middle of nowhere, but, but it's not in one of the mountain fortresses, right? Like last week, Pergamum has a thousand foot citadel built on, um, built with like temples on top and temples below. This one is in the middle of the plains. Here's actually what it looks like in modern day. These are the, the remains. And, and a lot of the city hasn't been fully um, excavated. And so here's what we have as of a couple, maybe about 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. But it's located in this plain. And Thyatira receives the longest letter from Jesus. And it also receives the harshest letter from Jesus. And it also is probably one of the smallest cities of the ones that we're going to visit, right? It's not the bustling metropolis of Pergamum or even more so of Ephesus. It's not on a port city, so it gets all that traction. It's a group of people in the middle of the country who are used to blue-collar jobs, who are used to growing food in their gardens, who are used to working in trades like leatherworking and pottery and culinary skills in wool workers and shoemakers and linen weavers and bakers and and smiths and there's slave merchants here it's an agricultural hub in some ways it kind of reminds me of the place in which we live right it's kind of flat around here okay it's very flat around here you got the one hill right down the hill there that's the one hill um you've got kind of great land for farming you've got industry that exports to various places. Thyatira would have exported a lot of things. In fact, one of the things Thyatira was known for was wool and dye, dyeing. Not like physically dying, but like dyeing um, wool. Um, one of the places, or, or one of the people that we know from Scripture who comes from Thyatira, perhaps the most famous Christian from Thyatira is a person named Lydia, who Paul meets in Acts 15 on a river outside of Philippi. Philippi's up in the Aegean. It's up near, it's up in the northern part of Greece. But Lydia is from Thyatira and she, she knows this wool making, this dyeing business because they would dye all sorts of leathers or dye all sorts of wools. And one of the big things that she dealt in was a dealer in purple cloth. And you could get that either by taking the the shell of a snail and you'd extract the color of purple from that or you could take what's called a matter root and you could break this down and you could use water to 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 dye the wool a purple that comes from a root it's kind of a fascinating place to live jesus is addressing this church now it's interesting because in the context of what's going on here he's addressing the church as a whole, but he's going to single out essentially three groups, all right? He's going to single out, you, you guys, I'm sorry, you guys are going to be Jezebel for today, okay? You got, and you can decide where you want the line to go, okay? You're Jezebel over here. And then he's going to single out all the people who are giving a pass and compromising and allowing Jezebel to promote her teaching, and then you guys are going to be the rest of the faithful, okay? Way to go. Nice job. Um, so there's three groups or three subgroups that are going on in the text here. Look with me, please. But notice first, before we get into the details of those groups, it says in verse 18, write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, but notice what happens. God reveals something about himself here. He says, he says the son of God, all right? He doesn't use son of man here. He is the son of man. That, that's an eschatological title from Daniel that's used in various parts. He says the son of God. He's underscoring his deity. He's under, 
underscoring his omniscience. He's underscoring his power. The son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. This idea of fiery flame has to do with, like if you had uh, a piece of, of gold that you would heat up and it might have some elements on it that, that weren't gold. If you heat it up, you would essentially burn off all that dross. You would burn off all the things that aren't gold to get it down to its purest form. When he says, I am the one, I'm the son of God, and I have eyes like a fiery flame, he's saying, I can see through all the works that people do, I know what's at the heart. I I can go down to the very core of who you are. He says to them, I know your love, I know your works, your love, your faithfulness, and your service, and your endurance. I love that he commends them a little bit. And he even says, your last works are greater than the first. And so the picture of this church is that it's a church that's marked by many good qualities, love, faithfulness, service, endurance. They're growing in their faith. And yet for them to flourish in Christ, Jesus needs to address a core issue that threatens their intimacy with God and their witness to the community. And he says, I have this against you. All right, so we're going to come to you guys first. He says, he, he highlights out of all of this writing to everybody there, he says, you have someone among you, her name is Jezebel. All right, now Jezebel was probably not actually her name, but the church probably knew who he was talking about. Jezebel is a person back in the Hebrew scriptures who became famous because she marries King Ahab. You can go to 1 Kings and read about that sometime later today if you want. But what the text says is that Jezebel marries King Ahab and she's a princess and in, in Kings. She's a princess and she makes this economic agreement. She, she's, she's married into to secure some trading with the Phoenicians. But what Jezebel does in 1 Kings 16, the end of the chapter talks about this. It says that, that Jezebel leads King Ahab into idolatry. He leads, she leads him to worship Baal, one of the gods, lowercase g of the time. And when King Ahab goes that way, Israel goes that way with full force. So Jezebel here is, is a person who the text, Jesus is describing, this is kind of what she's like. She takes you from a faithful following of God and she perverts the truth and she leads you down a path that is a dead end path to life. She, he says this in verse 20, but I have this against you, you tolerate. And the idea of tolerate here is to knowingly allow, all right? These people know what she's doing. Now, she may not be, she's a self-proclaimed prophetess. And so she, she, um, she takes upon herself this uh, speaking for God. And she says, here's what God says. And she comes into the community, whether in a public forum, we don't know, or whether it's just in a private forum, she goes from person to person, group to group. We don't know, but she's having an influence by her teaching. And she's saying, you know, I heard God say, it's okay to do this and this and this. And there's two things that Jesus points out that she is giving false teaching about. The first is that, well, she calls herself a prophetess. She teaches and deceives my slaves to, number one, commit sexual immorality, and number two, to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Now, the first one, we probably have an understanding of. It's something that was experienced in, in great measure in the ancient world. It's something that's experienced in great measure in our world today. 
Sexual immorality at its core is moving away from everything that God calls sacred with regard to sexuality. Everything. In the ancient period, it would probably shock you to see what the Roman world would practice as part of their rituals and traditions. What was accepted by culture. In fact, one writer puts it this way. He says, sexual practices in the ancient world were varied and accepted in the Roman world. The Greco-Roman world was highly sexualized. Premarital sex, adult, adult, sorry, I can't talk today, adultery, erotic art, public nudity, prostitution, and all manner of same-sex and opposite-sex relationships outside the biblical covenant of marriage were celebrated, especially in pagan religious gatherings. So you go, Whoa, because here's the gospel and it's going out to people who had grown up in a culture that had basically called normal everything God says, that's not good. That does not lead to life. That does not honor my name. And Christians are trying to figure out how do we honor God in the midst of this society? We'll talk about that more in just a moment. There's a second thing here where it says, and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. And you might be like, what? So if I, go to, if I go to Burger King, my, is my burger like, like, we just don't have a concept for eating meat sacrificed to idols. In the ancient world, what would happen is that offerings would be made to other gods, like actual fire offerings, and they would slaughter an animal, and they'd go before Zeus, or they'd go before Athena, or they'd go before one of the many, many gods of that world in that time. They would slaughter the animal and they would take part of that meat would be offered up to the gods and the rest of it would be taken and it would be enjoyed by the people who brought it and their people who were with them. So here's the picture. In ancient Thyatira, they have all of these trade unions, all these trade guilds. And you belong to the one that you grew up in, generally speaking. So if your dad was a woodworker, you grew up as a woodworker, but you weren't just a woodworker and you're like self-employed, you were part of a union. And part of that union or that trade guild then would barter together. And it wasn't just a, how do we secure a more effective economic partnership? What they would do is every trade union or every trade guild would often have gods that they would worship. So to be a part of that trade guild or that trade union, it meant that you had to give homage or you had to give value to the God of that trade guild. So to be a part of it and, and all that, you might have to offer an offering to Zeus because that was the God of your trade guild. Or you might have to offer an offering to the God of Demeter. Or you might have to offer a God, or an offering to Asclepion, the God of healing. And what became not just an economic thing, actually became a spiritual religious thing. Trade guilds or trade unions in the ancient time, they were civic in nature. They, they had a measure of community to them, but they also had a religious component. So for the Christian who's called out of darkness and to walk in the light of God's truth, they're left with this question of how do I honor God in this society in which I'm in? It's a really, really challenging question that they would have to engage. Jezebel here is promoting teaching that says it's okay to go along with the crowd. It's okay to compromise as long as it gets you and it keeps you in here and you can stay and you can sell your goods. It's okay to compromise for the sake of comfort in this life. That's what's going on. And that's why Jesus comes so strongly. Incidentally, the two things that Jesus pulls out here were two things that were already settled 
within the Christian church. If you go back to Acts 15, you find this apostolic decree. And two of the things that the church leaders agree upon is, number one, we have to stay away. We, we, we have to not engage in sexual immorality. But another one of the four is we're not going to eat meat sacrificed to idols. We're not going to be a part of a pagan love feast where who knows what's going to happen there because to do so would honor the Lord or would not honor the Lord. Be very careful how I say that. Now, modern day today, we face this all the time, right? Like, like you might be part of a group and to be a part of that group, you have to say, yes, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to do this. I'm not willing to do this. I'm not willing to do this. And to be a part of that, you have to sign some sort of thing or you have to agree to some sort of thing. Recently, I was reading about one of the attorneys who represented the Dobbs case, the, the decision that um, led to the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And it was several months ago. He was told by his big law firm, look, if you represent the side of what I would call life in the Dobbs case, um, you can no longer be a part of our law firm. He said, well, see you, have a nice day. And he went on to litigate before the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court found in favor of the Dobbs case and overturned Roe versus Wade. There's like a really living day example of someone who faced pressure for being a part of something and they said, no, I'm gonna walk in a different way. And I don't know whether that was out of principle or if that was out of faith. But what I'm saying is in this context, Jesus is saying, You've got someone among you who's saying it's okay to compromise. You cannot compromise in issues related to sexual immorality and meat sacrifice to idols. So he says this about Jezebel. He says, you tolerate her. But then in verse 21, he says, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. And I, I both love and grieve over that sentence. Because we see, here's what I love about it, we see the character in the heart of God. He says, I gave her time to repent. Even someone walking down the darkest and darkest and darkest and most wicked of alleys has been given the opportunity for repentance. In this particular case, and I don't know all the context because it doesn't say but it says she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. There are certain things that this person loved more than walking with Jesus and finding life in him. So you have Jezebel. Sorry, you guys are Jezebel today. Know that I love you all. Um, we have the middle group here that is being addressed. Oh, man. Verse 22, he says, Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Here we find the second group. There, there's people who went along with her. There's people who saw her going down a path, knew that path was wrong, compromised and tolerated that false teaching. And Jesus comes to them and he says... Look, if you continue to go down this path, if you continue to go down this, I'm going to bring judgment to you. He says here, he talks about the great tribulation. I don't think he's talking about the great, great tribulation that we'll study in a few weeks that begins a couple chapters after this. He's talking about God is a God who loves his people. 
And he disciplines those whom he loves, the scripture says. He disciplines those whom he loves. What he's saying is he says, I'm going to bring discipline and I'm going to bring a measure of judgment to you because you're allowing known unrepentant sin in your community. You're not stepping in to speak the truth of God to your brother or to your sister. If you go down that path, there is going to be trouble for you unless you repent of her practices. So here we have Jezebel. Here we have a group that's basically kind of gone along with maybe, out, maybe without thinking about it. Maybe it was more comfortable to, well, hey, she says we can do this. And so we could still be a part of our trade guild and our trade union. We can still be accepted by culture. We can still experience these things that we grew up with. It'll be okay. And Jesus says, no, it won't. He says, no, it won't. Because to compromise is to compromise the life that God wants you to experience today in him. Not only that, to compromise is to lessen the light that we have in the world to shine for Christ. One of the biggest things, and this is very true about the church in some ways. One of the biggest things we can struggle with as followers of Jesus is our words don't meet, or don't meet our walk where we say we believe this, and then we go and we live a whole nother way. We can think of a whole lot of contemporary examples within the church, right? One of the leading podcasts uh, in the Christian genre talks about the rise and fall of Mars Hill Church out in Washington, and it talks about some issues that were had in leadership that were wrong. We can look at a recent report that came from an independent reporter about the Southern Baptist Convention. And some things have come to light about uh, people who did things that were wrong. People who engaged in things that they should not have. They hurt people. They marred the name of Jesus and their leaders within a denomination. We can think of the various things that have happened in the Catholic Church throughout the years. And we just go, every time that happens a weightiness should come upon us because that, that makes it harder for a person who's not a Christian to say, you believe what? When our words and our beliefs and our doctrine don't match our walk, it dims the light of Christ living through us. And that's what's going on in the first century. All that happy stuff, right? Now we come to the third group. It says here, then all that, well, it says um, in verse 23, I will kill her children with the plague. There's conversation about whether or not those are her literal children or whether those are the people who have followed her. I think it's the latter, but I'm open to conversation on that. It says, but then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds. He's writing this to all the churches so that all of them will know that when they see something happen over here, it's not by happenstance. And I'm talking about this particular context, Right? They know that when they see Jezebel judged, it's not just because she had an early natural death, it's because God said, I will not allow this wickedness to continue in my community. I will come and I will bring judgment. We come to the third, the third group and he says this, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, right? You're the ones who haven't held to this. You're the ones who haven't compromised. You're the ones who haven't been promoting this. I say to you who haven't known the deep things of Satan, as they say, he says, I do not put any 
other burden on you. Now, the, bird, the word burden here is interesting. It's only used a couple times in the scripture. One of the places it is used is when it talks about, um, one of the places it's used is when it talks about in Acts 15 that there's going to be a burden placed upon the church, and that was to abstain from meats um, offered up to idols and to abstain from sexual immorality, and there's two other things. That, that, that was part of the responsibility that these Christians needed to bear. We're called to bear because God is taking a, a group of Jewish people and a group of Gentile people and he's forming this new bride of Christ who are marked by the blood of Jesus. But the way the Jewish observant community grew up is that you didn't eat certain things and you didn't practice sexual immorality. In fact, it was a, a society that very much honored God and honored people. It raised the level of class. It raised poor people out of the depths. It elevated society. It, it, it freed many who were abused. It placed the home at the center of virtue. But here you have in this ancient um, context that Jesus is saying to them, I don't place any other burden on you, which means there is a slight burden here. And the burden is to remain faithful to what God had said to remain faithful to what God had said. I'm going to skip past the slide here. Pay no attention to that. Here's a photo that I took in my garden this week. This is a pea plant, right? It's with some flowers and stuff. One of the things that we noticed in looking at our bush pea plants this week was that if you zoom in, the pea plants were wrapping themselves around a, a weed that we had missed, He's saying to this group here, you haven't wrapped yourselves around a weed. You, you haven't allowed the deceptive nature of the lie of Satan pushed through Jezebel, accepted by part of the crowd to come into your life. Because that's how all this starts. Even back in the Garden of Eden, Satan, the adversary, comes to Eve and he says, did God really say? And he introduces the smallest lie to get her to believe false truths about God. He says, I place no other burden on you than to remain faithful. Don't wrap yourself around the weed. Don't be taken up by that false truth. It's interesting. Another place where the word burden is used in the scriptures is here. It says, brothers and sisters, in Galatians chapter 6, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted. Here's the word burden. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The word burden here is the same word for burden that's used. He says, I place no other burden on you. So on the one hand, the work that we are to continue in, this group over here, is to say we're not going to wrap ourselves around the lie that's being grown within the church. But along with that, we're called to carry one another's burden. In the context, it's if someone is overtaken in wrongdoing, those of you who are spiritual, and the word spiritual here does not mean you are super holy. It does not mean that you're the goody two-shoes. It does not mean you have everything put together. It means you are a person who is walking by the Spirit of God. 
You're allowing your life to be animated by God. You're allowing the life of Christ to flow through you for the betterment of the community and for the betterment of the society, the betterment of your family and all these things. You who are spiritual, those of you who are walking in the fullness of God's spirit, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Restore. There's a work that God calls the faithful, the the ones who do not hold to the teaching to do in the community. And it's to come to the ones who've believed the lie and the person even who has been pushing the lie and say, that's not the life God wants you to live. That's not the path God wants you to experience. In fact, turn from that and turn to God. Part of the burden of the church And those who are spiritual in the church is not to take a sledgehammer and knock someone off the head silly because they've sinned. It's to say, there's life in Jesus. Come back to him. You're seeking life outside of him. Find your life in him again. Let me restore you. It's also part of the burden is to say when someone like Jezebel has said, nope, I am for sure keeping going down this path. It's to say, then you don't walk as though you are actually a follower of Jesus. That's part of the spiritual discipline path, which is hard, but which is necessary in a biblical process within a church. But I love it because we have this work of restoration for those who've bought the lie. But we also have this warning. Watch out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted. Sometimes it's easy for the church, and I say church, I really mean Christians, to come in and say, I don't do this, and I don't do that, and you do this, and you do that, and we come in, and we can just as quickly buy a different lie, trying to tear someone down instead of show them the grace of God and the word of God and the life that's promised in Jesus. What we can actually do is become spiritual, is like come on our spiritual high horse and say, you do, 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 do. And when we do that, what we do is we pick up the sin of pride instead of the sin of adultery. We we, we pick up the the sin of um, talking about someone perhaps behind their back or using language that doesn't honor God instead of walking in idolatry over here. And the word of God is very clear. Be careful. Watch out for yourselves so that you will not be tempted. It's a hard teaching. (laughs) It's a hard teaching because really what it calls us all to, what it calls us all to is to lay a hold of Christ. I love the way that that Jesus puts it here in Revelation um, chapter 2, verse 25. But hold on, or it means to adhere strongly, or it means to lay hold of, or to seize, or to arrest. It means to take hold of what you have until I come. In other words, take hold of what you possess. What do these believers possess? They don't possess righteousness of their own making. They only possess righteousness because of Christ. They don't possess perfect works. What they possess is Christ. When Paul is talking in Philippians, he says, I desire to know Christ. He counts all things as rubbish or all things as as dung, For the surpassing gift of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. They're called to come back 
to Christ. Colossians talks about how Christ is our life, and this doesn't refer to just the future sense. It addresses the here and now of how we're able to walk in God's path. So his warning to Jezebel, stop it. But then he says, in this particular case, there's going to be judgment because she's, con- she's just said, I'm going to keep going. But his warning here is, you're going to have a similar godly discipline if you continue to allow the things of this world to compromise your walk. But his calling over here is to say, remain faithful to Christ, hold on to Christ, and work to restore those who are walking down a path that leads to an empty road of living. Now, I started all of this by talking about life because I think it's really important to know that God cares about the here and now, right? We are not a Gnostic theology. Gnosticism says that the body doesn't matter. All that matters is the spirit. So whatever you do in your body doesn't matter as long as your spirit's good. As long as I'm saved, it doesn't matter, right? We are called to walk after Jesus. We are called to walk in his truth. And notice the promise that Jesus gives. He says to, uh, verse 26, he says, the one who is victorious and keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my father, I will give him the morning star. There's a whole lot going on here that we won't take time to go into, but basically he's quoting Psalm chapter 2, which is a messianic psalm that looks forward to Jesus ruling and returning in the future during the millennium, I believe. And it seems to be that believers will have positions of ruling. The actual word for ruling there means shepherding others. So we'll have actual like important things to do in the millennial kingdom on behalf of the Lord. And Jesus is going to share this authority with his followers. But then he says, I will also give him the morning star. There's some conversation about what the morning star is. I think the clearest understanding of the morning star, um, open to conversation of this, is later in the book of Revelation, Jesus himself is called the morning star. I think they're being promised this life with Jesus for eternity. But he says, anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I divided you up into three groups, and really, we could have gone like this, or we could have gone like this. It wouldn't have mattered how we divided it up. What I want to invite you to this morning is a moment of pause. Sometimes we get going so quickly in our life, and we forget what God has done for us. And, and we allow things to come in and we grab a hold of these roots of weeds that tear down the truth of God. I want to invite you to come to God this morning. And I want to invite you to ask him prayerfully, God, are there any areas of compromise in my Christian walk? Are there any areas of compromise in my Christian walk? And I know speaking to a group like this, We all have something. The first thing we should do is say, God, would you search my heart? Would you show me if there's any way in me that is wicked and that is leading to a path that does not lead in life that we've received from Jesus? God, would you show that to me so I can see it for what it is and come back to you, the author of life? God, is there anything in my life that is an area of compromise? 
areas related to sexuality. In our culture, this is a big buzzword. In a culture in which we live, a lot of things are accepted that God doesn't say, yeah, that's okay. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle with it. In fact, one of the things I read earlier this week is that uh, this was taken a couple years ago. There was a poll that was taken of, of even men in church who struggle with pornography. It said 68% of men in the church struggle with pornography. All right? That's walking in a path that does not lead to life. It's walking in a path that, that doesn't lead to the wholeness in, in the joy of Christ. But God comes to us and he says, in the midst of that, and that's just one example. You, you might have challenges with same-sex or opposite-sex attraction. You might have challenges with how your, your marriage is going. There may be a whole sort of things in our life sexually that God wants to say, I want to address this in you because you're believing a lie that that will satisfy when only I will satisfy. Likewise, um, Meat sacrifice to idols. We could talk about the business place, the marketplace. What, what does it look like for me to be a part of a trade? What does it look for me to be a part of, of, of a business? Am I being asked to compromise in something related to my work? Something that goes against God's teaching? Something that takes me down a path of a lie? And I pursue the lie for life, but there's no life found in the lie because life is only found in Jesus. Again, I ask you, in fact, I invite you. Would you just close your eyes right now? And will you say, I invite you to pray, God, will you show me the areas of compromise if I have them in my life? Father, we thank you for bringing these areas of compromise to our life. As followers of Jesus, we want to claim the once for all victory over sin that we have received in Christ. And if the Son has set us free, we are free indeed, God. We thank you, Lord, that we no longer have to walk in this manner. That you've given us your spirit to empower us to follow after you, God. And in these areas of compromise, God, we surrender our desire to choose them. Father, we want Christ to be our life. Thank you for the promise that Christ is our life. Help us to walk in that way. As you think about areas of compromise, think about areas in which you've allowed other people to compromise. Is the Lord bringing someone or someone's into your mind? Someone whom you need to go with a spirit of love and gentleness that you may proclaim the truth of God in their life. You cannot change their heart, but if God is saying, I want you to go and speak to this person, you just make a mental note of that and follow up on that soon. Father, we think of people in our lives right now who maybe we've given a pass on and we haven't engaged them with the truth of Jesus and God, we want them to experience life. Holy Spirit, would you lead and guide us into the right conversation that needs to take place there? We don't want to force it. If we've already had that conversation and they know where we stand, God, help us to know if we need to have another one or if we need to just sit back and wait for someone else to bring your words to them or, or to allow your spirit to bring them to a different 
place of brokenness that they might yield their lives to you. Finally, we think about this third group. And God, we long to have the fullness of your spirit living through us. Those of us who are spiritual, God, you call us to restore those who are wandering down a path of brokenness. Father, would you give us wisdom to know how to do that with your grace and with your truth? God, would you give us wisdom to know how to demonstrate what it means to find life in Jesus? God, we thank you for delivering us from sin, for placing us in Christ. Lord, we confess that we're often self-reliant. And without you, we are nothing. God, would you forgive us of trying to live the Christian life in our own strength? Remind us again today, God, that we have all we need in Christ. That we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Father, we yield our self-sufficiency we give our lives again to you today, into your hands. Jesus, we thank you that you are our life, you are our power, and you are our identity. I thank you that you meet all of our needs in yourself. God, in you we are acceptable, and you we find life and wholeness and healing. And while that healing on earth may be a process, we thank you for walking with us on this journey. Glorify and manifest your life and your presence in us this week. Lord God, that we might be a light to the world and that we might speak truth to one another for the sake of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I just want to briefly say, if you're walking through something right now and you need someone to walk with you, you, you can always go to Jesus. In fact, any good biblical counselor will always point you to Jesus, not to another type of solution. They'll always point you to Jesus. But if you need someone to walk with you and to encourage you in your journey, we'd love to be able to do that with you. And maybe that's you talking to a small group leader. If you're in a small group here, community group here. Maybe that's talking to one of our pastors. If you've walked through some really challenging times with relation to um, sexuality or abortion or any of that. We have a life team that would love to talk with you, whether you're a guy or a girl. We've got women to, to minister and men to minister. We'd love to be able to do that and connect you with the life of Christ. We're going to end with a benediction this morning, and I invite you to stand with me as I read from Jude, verse 24. This is the promise of Christ to his bride, the church. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. Did you know that we stand blameless not because of our works, but because of Christ's? Blameless and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. As you go this week, may you be reminded that God loves you. He's given you purpose and meaning. May you walk in the light of his word and by his grace.
You're dismissed. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.